Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This conversation today is a moderated panel between Dan Cornelius, who is the Director of Integrated Marketing Solutions at Think Patented, and Ellie Chichester, Chief Marketing Officer at Allied Printing Company, where we are talking about how leading companies are using data-driven marketing. And we're getting into things like data-driven direct mail, omni-channel communications. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence, AI, and how using generative AI is changing the game for how you think about creating copy, how you think about creating text and images that you can use in your direct mail and in your marketing campaigns. What you're going to be hearing is an audio extract from a webinar that we just got out of. So some of what you're going to be hearing about you can't see on the screen, but go to our website and we'll make sure to throw up a video there or you can find it on YouTube, I'm sure, searching for the same name, how leading companies are using data-driven marketing. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Dan, Ellie, and of course, me, Dave Rosendahl. Let's go. Welcome to today's exclusive webcast, which we've titled How Leading Companies Are Using Data-Driven Marketing. On the panel today, we have Dan and Ellie, who I'm going to introduce to you here in just a moment. And the goal for today's session is to explore the ins and outs of implementing data-driven strategies for your clients, in particular, as it applies to the direct mail that most of you do for your customers. I think we've all seen how data-driven digital strategies have transformed marketing, right? We've all seen that, but where does that leave traditional methods like direct mail? Is it a choice between the two, digital or direct mail, or can they harmonize, can, can they harmonize together and coexist in a way that drives better results for the brands that you serve? My job today as the moderator is to pull those kinds of insights from the panel. Also, another very important facet here is that we recognize that change can be hard. I'm talking about change within your teams, changing your strategies, changing how you look at the relationships you have with your clients because of how data is changing the game for direct mail. And I know it's not easy to think about data-driven solutions if we're coming from a world where we've thought about simply, if I could say that, putting ink on paper, right? We're talking about a new set of skills and strategies that are required. So my other job here is to pull on those threads with our panel to understand how they're navigating those changes, how they're fostering a data-positive culture to educate their clients, their sales teams, themselves, to really grab hold of the opportunity that we have here. Now, Dan and Ellie, who I'm going to introduce to you in a moment, I'm speaking to you here. I want you to be vulnerable and to share with the audience today so that everybody who's here gets maximum value from the time that we spend together. Now, all of you also have a role to play here. So if you are here now, I see the, the numbers jumping up here. I see Art, April, Anthony, Bob, Charles, Chuck, a bunch of names pouring in the room here. If you just jumped in, open up the Zoom chat at somewhere near the bottom of your screen and drop a hello. Say hi there. And the reason I'm asking you to do that right now is I want you, I need you to contribute to the conversation today because your real-time interaction your conversation here is going to influence our time together. So that's why, Kevin, I see your hello there. Good to see you. That's why I want you to drop that in because I'm going to be asking you to participate in the discussion today. Your energy, the conversation, your comments brings this session a life of its own, okay? You're going to help shape the conversation today. So hello to you, Bob. Dave says, happy to be here from Boston. Russ is here. Hey, Russ, my friend, it's good to see you. 
please drop a hello. Make sure you open up that chat. Joe, I see you here as well. If you can do that today, if you can chat with us, I want you to drop a yes here in the chat. Can you do that today? Drop a yes there in the chat. I see Mike is here, Mike from Milwaukee. Welcome, folks. Open up that chat, drop a yes. Make sure that you know where that is because you're going to be an important part of the conversation today. Now, if we haven't met, my name is Dave Rosendahl. I'm the moderator for the discussion today. I am co-founder and president here at Mindfire. In case we haven't met, and so that you understand the context from which I'm moderating the session today, let me tell you just briefly about Mindfire. We are a white label marketing solution that integrates print, direct mail, and digital channels in one platform. And it's our mission to empower North America's leading mailers to create modern data-driven direct mail campaigns that drive ROI. That's why we are so passionate about this topic and that's why we bring together panels like the folks that you have here today. But so much more important than me are the folks that are here today to share their insights. I'm gonna start with my friend, Dan Cornelius. Dan, by little way of background here, was the CEO of a marketing services company for around 23 years that he sold and merged into Think Patented just about 10 years ago. At Think Patented, he is the Director of Integrated Marketing Solutions. And in that role, Dan helps their clients maximize their marketing dollars using direct mail and a variety of omni-channel communication strategies. He's managed major marketing campaigns for Fortune 500 companies, as well as companies in healthcare, higher ed, manufacturing, franchising, and I'm sure many more that I have forgotten here in my introduction. But Dan, thank you for joining us today. How are you, my man? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I could help out and get to speak with everybody today. Hope we can all learn something. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's the goal of the time that we have here to together today. Also, as you can see here on the screen, Ellie Chichester, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at Allied Printing Company, is with us. She works there with their clients to execute on marketing strategies. Now, Allied, by way of background, helps clients rethink Inc. I'll put that in quotes there, by using their experience and technology to create more personal, powerful, and responsive print communications that drive results. And they do that primarily through three specialties, high-end color print production, data-driven direct mail, and fulfillment services. Now, Ellie, just a little side note here, as a dad of, of three girls, I know you've seen, many of you have seen my kids, I post about them quite a bit online, but as a dad of three girls, I gotta tell you, it warms my heart to see more ladies, more women in the field of print and mail. Thank you for being here with us, and thank you for leading the way as a, as a lady in print. How are you today? I'm well, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited to be here, and excited to talk to everybody about some strategies for variable data print and direct mail. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for your time. And thank you, audience, for being here. I see more and more of you coming into the room. Amy, Andrew, let me scroll to the bottom of my list here. Michael, Mike, Patrick, Rami, Rick. Hey, Rick, Steve, Taylor. I see a lot of new names and I see some familiar ones. So we're going to get started. And the way I'm going to run the session today is that I'm going to ask Dan and Ellie the questions that you've all submitted in advance of the event. And as I mentioned, I am going to weave in the questions, the queries that you send in through the chat, okay? So if you're ready to get started, if you're ready to start 
putting the two in the hot seat here. I want you to drop a one in the chat if you're ready to go because I am going to turn to the questions that many of you have submitted in advance. Are you ready? Drop a one there in the chat. Let's get everybody going. Yep, here I see the ones coming in. Perfect. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually start by putting the panel in the hot seat. All right. And I happen to come across a piece of direct mail that I'm going to share with the panel. I'm going to share with all of you here. And Dan and Ellie, I'm going to ask you for some feedback on this piece in real time. I want you to kind of give us your insights as if you were speaking to the VP of marketing behind this piece. I'm going to put you on the spot, but I know that you can both think on your toes. So let me show you this piece. This is actually my front door here. This is where the mail, you can see up here, there's a slot there in the door. This is where the mail gets thrown in. Everybody in the family comes running to see what's being pushed in there through the door. And if we're lucky, if everyone's in a good mood, they end up putting it in this basket right here. So about a week ago, I happened to look through the mail and I came across this piece. Can everyone see this piece? Give me a yes in the chat if you can see this piece. I want to make sure you can see this. Look at the outer envelope. Look at the OE on this piece. It says, throw me away. I'm used to it. <laughs> wow. That really caught my attention because first of all, that's pretty gutsy marketing from the CMO or the VP of marketing behind this piece, right? But secondly, it also illustrates the impact power of print, the, the impact that print can have in catching attention and driving the results that we're looking for. So I do this fairly often. I try to you know, open these pieces. I do little videos. I talk to folks about these pieces. And so I took it over to the, to the stove here, tried to open it up without you know, destroying the, the envelope. Didn't work very well. So if anybody has any better ways to open up direct mail without destroying it or burning your hand like I ended up doing here, please let me know there in the chat. But when I finally gave up and decided to just cut this piece open, here's what I found inside. All right, the first thing I see was this letter here at the top. Here's the insert, gets pulled out. Behind that, towards the top of this picture here, you can see the business reply envelope. Here's the letter. The letter is a bit personalized. You can see it says, you know, Mr. David Rosendahl. It says how long I've been a supporter of this organization. Launches into the, to the appeal, right? Here's what it looks like when I pulled it out. It's got the appeal. It's got a spot where I can put in my credit card info. And so, Dan and Ellie, I'm coming to you. The truth of our business, and everybody knows that here in the audience here, is that most of this direct mail will be thrown away, right? Unfortunately, for this child here, most will be thrown away. And with the cost of everything going up, postage, everything is going up, right? I tell our clients that every piece of direct mail, every piece of mail we put in the mail stream has got to work harder for us today, right? So, Ellie, I'm going to start with you first. This is Jenny. She is the director of philanthropy there at the organization. I want you to imagine this is the person behind this campaign here. This is the, the actual person. I want you to imagine that you are across the table from Jenny right now. What would you say to her to help her understand how you might be able to improve this piece? Okay. So I think there, there's a lot going on here. It is certainly a bold statement on that outer envelope and it gets, it gets the recipient's attention. But then when you open up, the appeal itself looks like appeals that, that personally I receive and I'm sure many of you receive from nonprofits every day. Um, we've got some variable data incorporated. They're, they're certainly referencing the fact you've been a donor and how, how long you've been a donor. Um, they're incorporating your name. I like that they're using color. But there's so many other opportunities to incorporate some information on the remittance card. 
How about a prior gift, making it a little bit easier for you to remember how you've donated in the past or what's, at what level you've supported? I'd also inquire, how are they segmenting their data and how are they looking at that? And are they sending the same message to all of the donors? Are there opportunities to incorporate some additional data into the letter or maybe personalize a paragraph to a certain segment just to make it work a little bit harder? The last thing I'd say is you've got a great business response envelope there that makes it easy for people to return things. But certainly as somebody who likes to take advantage of technology, um, I think if they can incorporate different vehicles, maybe a personalized URL to a payment mm. website or a personalized QR code, that would make it really easy for me to just enter my credit card information and not have to mess around with doing that response vehicle. Certainly that would engage me a little bit more. Very good. All right. So Dan, what about you? How would you well, help Jenny think about improving this piece? Well, I have to agree with Ellie's comments, first of all. I agree with m most of what she said, or all of what she said, I should say. But I think I would look at this piece here, and I would say, first of all, how are you integrating other digital channels to be able to get it in front of your, your potential donors? Are they are they using any you know other marketing channels? Are they bringing in social media with it? Are they identifying people that are visiting their site possibly and leaving? So are we doing some follow-up cookies and things like that to be able to get in front of additional people. I really just don't have a response for it right now, Dave. I'm, my mind's just not on that No, one, that's so. good. That's good. No, 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 that's good. I, I want to ask you this, Ellie and Dan. We have a lot of folks here in the audience who aspire to learn more about how you and your sales teams are able to sell direct mail plus digital campaigns in, in this data-driven model. And they know that, I think intuitively, that their sales teams have to think differently when speaking to a VP of marketing or to a chief marketing officer or someone like Jenny. So what I want to ask you, I'm going to start with you, Ellie. Tell us how you get your reps, how you get your organization to think beyond, let's say, cost per piece, if I could simplify it to that, and elevate the conversation to the levels that you would need to have in order to speak with someone like Jenny. How do you think about that? We've really taken, so we have a sales team of about eight people and they run the gamut and, and many of them have sold in the, in the industry for years. So they're, they're veterans. They know what they're doing. They're comfortable having a, a conversation across the desk from a client. But what we find as we start to have some of the more complex conversations, the conversations that are more marketing oriented, strategy oriented, that they might need some assistance. And so we bring in a team to the table. And we're trying to help support them and bring solutions. What we really want to do is understand the client's problems so that we can present benefits and how can we help them solve for those problems. So we're trying to get beyond the cost per piece, certainly, but we are looking for, you know, as Dan said in the, in the example here, are there opportunities for us to, to use print, to use direct mail? Of course, but can we incorporate and leverage other channels? Can we look at social? Can we look at email? Are there opportunities to really make the campaigns more effective because we're touching consumers and recipients via multiple, ch multiple channels? Got it. And what about you, Dan? How do you get your reps to think you know, beyond kind of the cost per piece mentality into adding value to the direct mail that goes beyond, you know, and I know it's a reality, we get cost pressures and, and folks pushing down on the price, but how do you get your teams to think outside of that box? Yeah, it's really important. We do a lot of training 
internally with our sales team. They are a mature sales team also. I call it the grain of our team. You know, they're pretty gray when you walk around here. But training is very, very important. But more importantly is that we got to focus on the value-added services, but otherwise we're just a commodity. When we go in and talk with our sales team, we want them to understand that a prospective client could have three lists on their desk. One list could be printers, one list could be agencies, and we want our pile to be think patented. We want to be the third pile or stack on, the, on, the, on their desk. So they need to focus on outside of just print. They need to understand how people are using that print, what is the purpose of it, how it's being used, and then how can we enhance that, whether that is variable data printing, whether that is bringing in the digital channels we spoke about, or is there other solutions that they need? Could it be fulfillment services, so on and so forth? So they've got to think outside the box and become a, a value-added vendor to their customers, not just a commodity printer. And so you do this kind of training on a regular basis, bringing folks together weekly, monthly, weekly. what kind of the cadence and weekly? weekly. Okay. We have weekly sales meetings every Tuesday at 830. It's, it's a religion around here. And we'll bring outside vendors such as yourself to do some training for them, or we'll do it internally. Each one of our departments in here is laid by a, a, an expert that runs those different divisions. So they'll come in and educate them on the new things that we have, the capabilities of doing it, how that could bring an advantage to them when they go out and speak to their clients. Got it. Well, I think, folks, it's important to keep in mind that what we're talking about here are, are a combination of tactics and strategy, right? I mean, strategically, if we think about how are we going to move our sales teams to, you know, where, where they're comfortable saying yes to brands and thinking differently in this regard, that's a strategy that we need to put into play. But there's also tactics that come into play here that I think are important as we think about the kind of technology and the kind of training that we provide to our teams. But the value, I argue, and Dan, Ellie, I want to hear your thoughts on this. The value is in the data and the data-driven strategy because that's where we can unlock additional value, dollars and cents, really, at the end of the day, that you deliver to your clients, to the brands that you serve. So, Dan, let me start with you on this. Do you agree that the data, the data-driven st strategy is where the value is to the brand? Tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think it's very important to identify the data that you have and break it down into different segments so you can talk to the audiences appropriately. I, I see that, you know, if we're going to do the spray and pray model, that's just dead in the world today. You know, the old days are just throwing stuff out there and seeing if it sticks. It's a complete waste of time. So we've got to go in and segment who we're talking to and understand what they need. So when somebody purchases something, what's the next step for upselling? or IOTA, what is something that somebody's going to need new that we need to be able to identify. So if you are a heating and air conditioning company, maybe you want to look at houses that are 15 years or older, because that's going to identify the fact that they're going to have some furnace problems or air conditioning problems. You don't want to focus on new homes per se. So that's at its simplest level. So we want to be able to look at the, your audience that you're trying to target, segment who they are, and then have the proper messaging go to each segment of that audience. And Ellie, how do you think about this from your perspective there at Allied the value being in the data and the data-driven strategy. How do you look at that and how does that influence the work that you do? I, I, I agree with, with the quote here and everything that Dan said. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we are getting the right message to the right person at the right time. And we've got companies, brands have so much data that sometimes the hurdle is trying to assemble it all, digest it all, and then use it most effectively. But mm -hmm. there's certainly opportunities for us to target and to grow revenue 
you know, when we're using direct mail and we're, we're putting a message that's relevant out there to the recipient. So audience, if you have a question, if you have a follow-up on anything that Dan or Ellie just said, please drop that in the chat. My team is compiling your questions. I see those coming in here already, and we're going to leave plenty of time to dig into your real-time questions here. I want to build on Ellie and Dan, something that you just mentioned there around the value in the data. And what I did is I pulled two quick examples right before this session of real life reporting around the data that can now be captured, that all of you here can now provide to your clients in order to drive the kinds of results that we're looking for. When you track direct mail down to the individual level, and I don't mean just mail tracking, I mean when you're tracking the responses, here's the kind of data that emerges that was previously unavailable. For example, what you're seeing here on the screen is an example of the type of reporting that you can now look at and use to make better decisions to help your clients, or you can provide it to your clients as well. For example, you know, what week are we mailing? What template are we using? What are we, what's the teaser? What kind of OE are we using, right? And all of these things can help us understand what's driving response, what's driving conversions. When I say conversions, it could mean a lead, it could mean a sale, whatever it is that the campaign is looking to achieve. That's the way you can start to break down the data that is now available to us when we track direct mail using these data-driven strategies that we're, we're talking about here today. I have a question for the audience in this regard. Folks, open up the chat. I wanna know, just give me a yes or no here. If you sell direct mail, does it feel like direct mail is under attack? For example, that you need to defend the efficacy of direct mail from budget cuts, budget pressures. Do you need to defend the budget from you know maybe digital teams that are trying to take that spend and apply it elsewhere to digital is that a yes a no where's everybody out with that give us give us a sense here do you feel that in some ways direct mail is under attack i want to see that coming in here in the chat i see art saying yes jeff saying yes bob says you're kidding right mike says yes charles says yes steve says absolutely yeah anyone who's faced with these challenges knows that we need to provide a better way to show the brands that we serve that the direct mail that we're doing for them is working. And so what you see here on the screen is just a simple example of how we can start to break that stuff down in a very easy to understand way that's going to drive better decision making. So Ellie, I want to start with you. As you think about giving direct mail the attribution that it deserves by providing this reporting, why is that important to Allied? And maybe even more importantly than that, what is it doing for your clients? How is giving attribution to the direct mail something that is providing value to your customers? Tell us how you see that. So by giving attribution to, to direct mail, we're able to prove to our customers how they can spend their marketing dollars the most effective way. There has been a shift over the last several years to, to move monies to digital spends. And I think a lot of that has to do, again, we're looking at cost per piece. But we really need mm -hmm. to be taking that conversation to cost per response, cost per con conversion, right? And can direct mail be more effective there? I know we've talked before about how some of the digital, the costs of digital are going up as well. And certainly if, if we can prove effectiveness through direct mail, you know, it's a benefit to the client because they'll see more revenue, they'll see more sales, they'll see, they'll start to achieve those goals they've established. And, you know, selfishly for Allied, you know, continuing to grow the direct mail channel and then the digital services that support it, you know, continue to allow our business to thrive. 
Dan, what about you? When you look at attribution and you provide clients the ability to see this, what what tangible value does that represent for your customers? I think it's important to be able to show ROI for your your customers that we're working with. We want to be able to show that when they're spending money on direct mail in conjunction with their digital marketing, that we can prove an ROI on the direct mail and the, the amount of <clears throat> results that they're going to get is increased three to fivefold when it's combined with direct mail is combined with a, a digital marketing effort. So we create ROI calculators, if you will, and we'll take it to the end of a campaign. We'll actually provide the numbers back to them and prove where the dollars, you know, for instance, we just did a campaign for a credit union. They spent $9,000 on the whole campaign. The majority of the expense was in postage, but at the end of the day, they generated a 292% return on their marketing dollars because they generated $27,000 in revenue on a $9,000 spend. So when we can put those dollars and, you know, the, the, when we can put those results in front of them, they sign up and they're on board going forward. It's easy as that going after that. How did you get the sales data? Do you do some sort of matchback process? Do they feed we, that data back to you? How do you do that? In this one, in this case, we went back to them and we deduped the number of new members that they got to the mailing list that was provided to us. And then they gave us a dollar amount that they consider to be the dollar spend for a client in the first year. So that was just the first year. That's not you know lifetime value of the customer. That was just the first year spend. So they were very, very happy with the results. And we were able to prove it to them. Got it. Got it. Bill, I see your question here about whether folks are targeting digitally the same that they're targeting in direct mail. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. So, Phil, thank you for that question. Keep the questions coming in, folks. I have a question for all of you. It's your turn now. I'm going to ask you all a question. We want to get a sense for the, the folks that are here in the room, what your direct mail volume looks like and what you're kind of experiencing direct mail wise across the industry. And so consider this room kind of a sample of what the industry is experiencing. I'm going to launch the first poll here. You should be able to see that here on your screen. And then I'm going to share the results with you. So you kind of have a sense for what your peers are experiencing and what they're seeing. The first thing is we just want to get a sense for how much direct response mail do you do annually? And you can see the options here, 12 million or less per year, 12 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 500 million, 500 million to 1 billion, and 1 billion plus. So take a few moments here. I'm going to give you a few seconds. I want as close to 100% participation as possible. How much mail do you do? And then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question and share that with everybody here. So look at your screen. I'm going to give you about another five seconds here. Come on, let's get, get get the votes going there, people. Come on, you got we got about 33% of you participating. Let's go. Come on, a couple more of you here. Got 23, 24, 25. All right, come on, let's get to 50% at least here. Bob, I see your response there in the chat. Thank you, Bob. If you don't see the poll there on your screen, you can drop it in the chat. That's fine as well. Bob's organization does 12 to 60 million. Okay, fantastic. I'm going to give you a few more seconds here, folks. Let's get those responses coming in. How much direct mail does your organization do annually? Five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. And I am going to share the results of this poll so that you can see how you stack up here. So what we've got, if you look here at the screen, in terms of the room, we've got... 61% 61% doing 12 or less, followed by 18% of you doing 100 to 500 million, 14% doing 12 to 50, and then in third place, we've got 50 to 100 million. Very interesting. Now, the second question I have for all of you here, let me go to the second question. 
Here we go. I want to know, and this is going to be interesting for all of you, compared to last year, what would you say? Your direct mail volume is up, down, or about the same? I'm going to give you a few seconds here to answer, folks. <laughs> you can hear the music here. It's your turn. Get out and rock the vote here. We got more of you answering this time. That's interesting. Compared to last year, your direct mail volume is up, down, about the same. Kathy, I see your question there. Thank you. We'll get to those questions here in just a second. Tracy, I see your question in the Q&A. Team, let's make sure we get Tracy's question into the log here so we can answer that one. All right, folks, that's it there for you. So here we go. I'm going to end the poll, and I am going to share the results with you. Very interesting here. So look at your screen now. Here are the results of that poll. Compared to last year, 39% of you say that your direct mail volume is up. Ah, fantastic. That's what we like to hear. 32% in second place there is about the same. Okay, we'll, we'll take that. And 29% say down. Interesting. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I hope that's helpful to all of you as well here in the room. As we move into the questions now, that gives you a little context for the questions that are coming in and, and kind of what the room looks like in terms of how they're seeing the industry right now. So I, I received literally hundreds of questions in advance, and I'm going to start going through those questions here with Ellie and Dan. So Ellie, I'm going to start with you. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. <laughs> I know that your sales team in specific has been learning how to sell, let's call it data-driven direct mail for somewhere around, let's, let's call it 18 months. We, we got a lot of questions around, what is that process like? How do you get your team ready? Many in the audience are wondering what your journey's been like, what you've learned along that way that would help those who are in a similar situation. So how would you respond to someone who's wondering that? There's a lot of education involved. There's a lot of information to learn when you're first starting to get into data-driven direct mail. And if I may, we've actually been in, in mail for, you know, since the 90s, but we've been doing, we've really focused on the data-driven aspect for the last eight to 10 years. So we've been pushing a lot of compliance-oriented mail and, and variable marketing communications. But as I said, there's a lot of education. Um, you know, certainly there are some of our reps that find it a little bit more uncomfortable to sell into that space because we're talking about, well, how do we reach different people? Who do we want to reach? We're having some of the marketing conversations that they're perhaps less comfortable with. Um, and, and it's maybe easier to sell just to the conventional side. But I think at the, at the core, they all want to provide value to their clients and, and they chose a service industry and they want to serve their clients and make sure they're doing right by them. You know, this is how we can help them achieve their goals and, and to best reach, reach those individuals they're trying to target. But, you know, over time, we just continue to push information out to them. We take advantage yeah. of partners like Mindfire and some of our other partners that come in and do education for our folks. And certainly, you know, internally, we've got a team of experts that's always talking to them, always available to them. And, you know, we've, we've all learned things over time. You know, IT security is something that, you know, 15 years ago, we, we weren't really talking about that daily. But now those are conversations mm -hmm. we're having with clients. Those are leads that we're, we're pushing out there. When you say IT security, do you mean things like SOC 2 compliance Sorry, being SOC 2? Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Very good. 
April, Ryan, Leon, I see your questions, comments there in the chat. My team is collating those, and I'll make sure to get to all of those. Dan, I'm going to go to you next on this one. It doesn't seem possible when I think about how long we've known each other, but I think you've been doing this for at least 20 years. And when I say this, I mean data-driven marketing solutions that marry print and digital. Something that I've noticed, and it seems like this was also echoed in many of the questions that we received in advance, is that it seems like, in, in some ways, it's that only now are brands, only now is the market really catching on, if you will, to the power of marrying offline and online together to drive results. Push back on that or give us some additional context. Is that what you also see as well? Or do you, you think maybe that I've just been missing something and, and it's, it's on my end where I haven't been seeing this kind of take hold? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We have been doing this for a long time. You're absolutely correct. And I, if I get a dollar for every one of the deer in the headlight stares that I've gotten from somebody I'm speaking to at the beginning of a sales process, it's totally amazing. You know, we started out by calling it cross-media marketing, turned yep. it into integrated marketing. Now it's omni-channel marketing. So, you know, everybody's got their own terminology for what we're doing. But I think it's very interesting that, you know, there's a lot of printers that are, are afraid to jump into this and, and, and learn and, and, and try to bring different solutions to their customers, but they need to be able to do, they need to do that. Otherwise, they're just going to be a commodity printer, per se, if you will. So going out and finding talent to bring on board to be able to have those dialogues and those conversations with potential prospects is very, very important. From a marketer standpoint, I'm amazed of the number of people that I talk to from marketing that don't really understand what cross-media or integrated marketing or omni-channel marketing really is about. They like mm. to use the words. They are siloed sometimes in how they're going to it, and they think they have an omni-channel approach, and they don't. So I, I think it, it, you, you go in with the idea that, that that they don't know as much as you think they do. You know what I mean? Because right. you probably know more than they do, especially if you've been trained by your team. For instance, I've worked with for 20 years. And, and it helped me understand and learn this as we go out and speak to our potential customers. But yes, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that it seems that they're asking for it more and more today. And I don't know why it's taken so long for them to catch up and, and understand what we're doing. <laughs> Maybe we can figure that out together. Well, Dan, you mentioned the importance of the, the right talent on the team. So be curious because folks ask this as well. Tell us about the reps, the sales reps that you have on your team in terms of kind of their tenure, how long have they been in the business? What do they, what do they, not what do they look like literally, but what do they look like from a characteristic perspective? Literally, they are all, all gray haired people in my team, basically. And I'm joking, but no, the majority of them, we have 16 sales reps, probably 10 to 12 of them are definitely over the age of 55. And then I have four or five people that are in their late thirties and early forties. Those are the ones that are gravitating towards this type of, of sale or, okay. or solution. The other job, the other people don't quite understand it, but yet they're very comfortable in bringing in somebody like myself, the other team members that we have in here they can bring in. You know, Sean Ferguson, he's our director of, of, sure. of our, our solutions. And so they have resources in the building that they can bring in to have these conversations. I took a word from Joe Manos many, many years ago, and I love it. And we, when we approach our customers, we call it a discovery conversation to this day. And, you know, we just start with the discovery conversation. Let's talk about what you're doing. We want to tell you what we've got going on here, what's new, and let's see if we can create a win-win together. Ellie, what about you? What, what does your sales team look like with respect to their tenure, how long they've been in the business? and maybe any patterns that you've noticed about who, to use Dan's word, who gets it and who doesn't? What do you see there from Allied? 
we, we have a similar makeup there. We have the good majority of our sales team is, you know, very tenured. They've been selling print and direct mail, you know, trying to think here minimally for a decade, you know, some of them have decades worth of experience. And, and from an age perspective, you know, it kind of runs the gamut. We've got reps that are in their forties, fifties, and, and we've got a couple in their sixties and beyond. So, you know, we really hit it all over the place, but what we've found is that, well, some of them might struggle with having some of the conversations. They're all very excited to bring some new ideas to their clients. So they're still mm. embracing the marriage here of, of print and direct mail and social and, and digital and all these different channels. So they're embracing that. Sometimes they maybe don't know how to, how to push it out there and how to execute, but they're very excited at what they can do for their clients. So audience, I want to ask you a question based on what Ellie just said. If you sell in one way or another, how important is it to you to be able to bring something new to your clients, something new to your prospects? Tell me there in the chat. Give me some responses there in the chat. And Dan, I know that not only are you, you know, kind of overseeing the sales team, but you are still yourself selling. And in fact, when we tapped you to be on this, uh, on this webinar, on this panel discussion, you were in the car, you were leaving a client's location, and without divulging too much about specifically what happened there or the, or the customer, tell everybody a little bit about that particular sale, because I think it's a really interesting project that folks will get value from. <laughs> yeah, I was driving back from Lake Erie, so I had three and a half hours in the car to get back to where I was going. But long story short, I ran into a gentleman that just bought a marina, and he was taking on three new boat lines, and he needed to get the message out into the marketplace. And so on top of that, he is developing cottages, if you will, that will be sitting right on the Lake Erie shorefront. And he's got $58 million worth of condos that he needs to sell. So he asked me to come up and talk to him about how we can Why help you him. you just his... buy all of them? You can, you would, can just buy would, them all. I would love it. Trust me. <laughs> but anyways, long story short, I, I was able to help him understand that from a budgeting standpoint, he needed to attack each one of these verticals differently. So he has sales, he has service, and he has dockage, if you will. And then he's got the cottages. So we broke the cottages out completely different. He's got a, approximately 3,000 people he needs to market to on that because it needs to be $2 million and up in wealth. So we need to speak to that mm -hmm. audience differently. When it comes to the marina itself, we were able to demonstrate how we can get his message out within the verticals, that he, within the, the demographics and to the geographical area that he needs to hit. And that's very, very important. So when he's selling boats, it needs to be within three hours. If he's selling service, it needs to be within an hour, so, so to speak, uh, away from his location. So we were able to demonstrate that and improve the ROI by coming back and challenging him. He thought it was too expensive. And we were coming in at a $40,000 budget just for the service side of the business and the boat sales. So by telling him, you know, hey, let's look at the cost of the boat. What is your ROI on the boat? If he sells four boats, he pays for the whole program for the first year. So he's in, in I mean, he's in, you know what I mean? It's over with. He, he didn't look at it that way. He was just looking at the dollars. And that's where we get into that commodity sale. And what we need to yeah. demonstrate is what does it take to be able to pay that off? And the rest is icing on the cake. It's no different right. doing that than if you're doing a student recruitment program. One student will pay for a program that's $100,000. You know, you just got to get one extra student. So it's by right. opening their eyes and getting them to understand how to justify the cost. Yeah, I see Jill here in the chat going back to the question around bringing new ideas and, and engaging folks in kind of the way both Ellie and Dan are talking about here. Jill saying it's always great to bring new ideas and services. It helps keeps us relevant. Absolutely. Charles says always bring new ideas or you lose your value 
to the client. I see Dan obviously nodding his head there. On you that want to one. be a Dean thought says, leader. Yeah, you got to position yourself that way. Dean said it's very important because if we don't, <laughs> someone else is going to do it for you. Exactly. That's for sure. Someone else is going to be knocking on that door. Tracy says always important. You need to stay relevant. Yes, absolutely. So I, I want to continue here with the questions and talk about a topic that, you know, you probably heard quite a bit about AI. We're going to talk about that here, and I'm going to get some input from both the panel as well as you here in the audience. So get ready here. I know that this is a buzzy kind of frothy term. You might be seeing it, you know, everywhere you look. It might scare some of you. Some of you nerds like me maybe are like, you know, pretty in love with it. I think the reality is somewhere likely between those two extremes, right? Fear and, and, and total love. Somewhere in between, there's, there's something here for us. I think if you're watching, if, if you're carefully attuned to what's going on here, there is a pace with which this technology is evolving that, frankly, I just haven't seen in my time here on Earth. I think if we zoom out, there have been maybe other technologies that have evolved rapidly like this is here, but things are happening very quickly. And I want to talk about that here in order for us to understand the applicability to direct mail and the data-driven strategies that we're talking about. But I got a question first to kind of make this personal for everybody. I want you to go over to the chat. How many of you use TikTok? Drop a yes in the chat if you're using TikTok. Give me a yes if anybody here is using TikTok. And the reason I ask you that, come on, be honest here, folks. Come on, Suzanne. I know you are. Darren says yes. Michael says no. I see some no's. Lauren, you're not on TikTok. We talked about that. You got to get on TikTok. Mike says no. The reason I'm asking you about TikTok is whether or not you realize it. Same thing is true with YouTube, by the way. TikTok is AI. TikTok knows you better than, in many cases, you may know yourself. It's scary. For those of you who are using it, you may be like, how the heck does this, this, this app you know, make time disappear? I've been on it an hour. What happened to that hour, right? If you've been on it, you know what I'm talking about. But I don't want to just talk about it in theoretical buzzword terms. I want to show you some real-life examples of what it can do. If you want to see some examples, let me know there in the chat. Give me a yes there in the chat if you want to see some examples. Specifically here, we're going to talk about ChatGPT, and then I'm going to get Dan and Ellie's perspectives on what we're seeing here. All right? How many of you have used ChatGPT? Drop ChatGPT yes or ChatGPT no there in the chat so I can kind of just get a, a sense for where y'all are at. Bill says all the time. Andrew says yes. Steve says yes. Steve, I see no. I see no. I see a little. I see yes. Not con not yet, but considering it. Okay, this is this is helpful to you then. If you're here and wondering how are other people using it, how should I be using it if you're here in the room and not using it yet? This is ChatGPT's interface that you see here on the screen. It is arguably the most sophisticated AI in the world that you can now interact with by chatting, just like you would chat with me here in Zoom or to a friend in your text messaging, you can do the same through this interface. Now, for me to help you understand in a, in a very simple way what it's doing, what the large language model is doing, I want you to tell me what is the next word or phrase in this sequence. If I say knock, knock, what do you say? Come on, everybody's gotta know this. If I say knock, knock, what do you say? Come on, exactly. Ryan's got it right. Who's there, right? Who's there? That's the answer. Now, how did you know that? It's because the words who and there, who's there, are the most likely 
the, the two words most likely to follow knock-knock. And in the same way, these large language models are anticipating the words that follow one another with the highest probability. Let me show you another example of how this is working. If I say, I scream, you scream, we all scream for, what's the next word here? I want to see how many of you are like AI. How many of you are AI here? Ice cream. Yeah, not ice, David. Ice cream. <laughs> there we go. Right. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. It depends on maybe your age here. You might remember this. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream is the most likely word that follows. So similarly, that's the way chat GPT works. Now, what happens is when they started feeding it data so that it could learn the probability of these words that would follow one another, it started to get smart. And what happened is, is that by feeding it a massive amount of data, a massive amount of training data, something really remarkable happened. The easiest way for me to explain this to you is to get a volunteer. I want to do a live demo here. I want, I want somebody who's never used it. I want a volunteer to help me, okay? I want you to go over to the chat, and I want you to think of something. I want you to ask a question, maybe something that challenges the boundaries of your imagination, maybe a complex topic, something that you want to know, something that you kind of want to see, how does ChatGPT handle, something that maybe goes into the depths of you know, human knowledge. Give me some prompt ideas here in the chat, folks. If you've used it, that's fine as well. Drop something in because I'm going to pull it up and I want everyone to see what it can do. It could be a, you know, a thought-provoking philosophical question, maybe a creative challenge. If you do direct mail, maybe think about a hurdle, something that you're, you're stumped by with respect to building a campaign, maybe a question about a target audience that you have. All right, I'm going to give you a few seconds here. Think about that. Go over to the chat, and I'm going to show you what it can do. Create a marketing plan for a new product, okay? I see one example there. Keep it coming, folks. I want more. Give me a few more. Somebody says, I want to save money, okay? Where can I find info on 360-degree reviews from David, okay? Keep it coming, folks. Give me another idea. Write me an omni-channel marketing LinkedIn profile. Okay, very good. All right, I'm going to give you a few more seconds here. Dan and Ellie, can you confirm you can see the chat GPT interface on the screen? Yeah. Give me a thumbs up. Okay, great. I see a question here. How many real licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> Darren, this is funny. Help me understand the postal requirements. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. All right, I'm going to say, I'm going to use George's here. I'm just going to copy and paste George's out of, the, out of the chat here. He asked, write me an omni-channel marketing LinkedIn profile. So this is ChatGPT, and the way you use it, you just type in here some text, write me an omni-channel marketing LinkedIn profile. I'm just going to take exactly what he put there and i'm going to put it right in here into the chat so it says sure here's an example everyone see it writing here on the screen it's giving you a headline suggestion it's giving you the about section some special skills and experience <laughs> it's even giving you what appears to be a a cv or a resume it's a resume, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So George is saying change it to the about section. Okay, so I'm going to take what George has said, 
and uh, write me an omnichannel marketing LinkedIn profile specifically for my about section. Keep it to 500 words or less. I'm just going to put that here for right now, okay? So it's thinking. Here's a condensed version. Seasoned omni-channel marketing strategist with over a decade of experience in orchestrating impactful marketing campaigns that seamlessly blend digital and physical customer touch points. Wow. Somebody grabbed that. Look at that. Four paragraphs here for your LinkedIn profile. Isn't that interesting? Bob is saying, how do I target consultants that advise franchise startups? Bob, fair enough. Let's ask. Typically, I would do this in, a, in another chat, but I'm going to do it here in the same one just for the sake of time. So let me copy what Bob said and put it right here. How do I target consultants that advise franchise startups? Let's see. Targeting consultants that advise franchise startups requires a focused and strategic approach. Here are some steps that you can take, Bob. Research, understand the market and specific needs, networking, attend events, trade shows, and conferences, LinkedIn, use content marketing, do webinars and workshops, do email marketing, use targeted advertising, and create partnerships. Now, if you're thinking, well, you know, I could probably come up with that stuff on my own. Now, just remember here, this was from one little sentence here. The beauty of what happens here is the better you are at asking it questions, the better the information it provides to you. Uh, David is saying that's a very common response set for any how to ask. Yeah, that's what I'm saying here, David, is depending on how well you ask it a question is related to the, the, the response that you get back to it. Well, one little thing that I would suggest that all of you consider, if you ask it a question, for example, I'm going to say, how do I target consultants that advise, advise franchise startups? Ask me as many questions as you need to know in order to provide a very specific response to my situation. If you ask it something like that at the end of your question, watch what happens. So I think, Bob, you asked this question, right? So now it's going to start to engage me. It's going to ask me, hey, what is the nature of your business? Have you previously had any interactions or does, done business with consultants? Do you already have a marketing strategy in place? What platforms do you currently use? Do you have a geographic region or market in mind? What are the main challenges you face? Do you have any specific goals? So what happens here is you provide it a set of enumerated responses, one through seven, and now it becomes smarter in how it's going to help you. Yeah, exactly what Phil's saying. Tell it to do better, and it will. That's absolutely right. Ryan is asking, has anyone on the call begun to use AutoGPT? That's also a very interesting question. So does anybody have a more specific marketing question? There's all sorts of things that you can do with this that goes beyond just what you've seen here, but I think you get the idea, right? Ellie, are you using ChatGPT? And if so, how are you using it? We are. We are using it in creation to assist in creation in some of our own materials. Certainly for social media, we're using it in some of the email messaging that we're pushing out through, through Mindfire. So we are using it to build our own materials. And then we, we're looking at ways that we can incorporate that into analysis on the data side for our clients as well. Absolutely. What about you, Dan? How are you using it if you're using it? Yeah, we're using it in our marketing area a lot. But from using it for our clients, we're not doing it right now, but we are using it. Learning. So that is how AI is... <laughs> 
is changing how text and copy is created, or that's one way to think about it. There's another aspect to generative AI, which creates images. Okay, I'm going to show you briefly mid-journey, and then we're going to talk about that. Mid-journey creates images based on prompts that you give it. So if you look at the screen here, Ellie and Dan confirm you can see these two beautiful young ladies here on the screen. Okay, this is an example of an image created by me just typing into mid-journey what I wanted to see. Okay, I did this by just typing some text. So think about graphic designers, artists. Think about creative and copywriting along with images that can be truly personalized at the one-to-one -one level using this kind of technology. Here's how it works. If you look over here on the left-hand side of the screen, you type into mid-journey what it is that you want. Here's the prompt that I typed. Young female, sole por portrait person, real, with a smeared mascara, raining, smoky room, right? This is what I typed in to get a whole variety of images. If you want more, you just say, hey, give me a few more, right? You can see it generated a few more images like that in milliseconds. Never complains, doesn't ask for a raise, doesn't take sick, day, sick days, doesn't have to go to the dentist, just gets the job done. Here's another beautiful set of images. This time I typed in high texture, quality portrait of a young woman with freckles and crystal blue eyes with a wreath in her hair. Look at these images that it created. Amazing. Now, here's something you may have seen in the news. Here's the, the Pope in a coat looking dope, right? The thing is, this never happened. This was created by AI. You may have seen some of these other images that are now being created of things that look very real that just never happened. A little while ago, I was at a conference where Magic Johnson spoke. It was a, a, at D-Scoop, a print conference. And so I was talking to people about AI, and I ran up to my room later that night, and I asked Midjourney to give me basketball star Magic Johnson working in a commercial print company. Here are the images it provided, right? I said, give me some more. Now, as far as I know, Magic doesn't own a print company. He might. But as far as I know, this never happened, right? But the realism with these photos is getting better and better. How are you going to start to know the difference? It's going to be very challenging. At the same conference, I happened to ink a deal with Magic, right? Here we are, standing, shaking on that deal. But did this really happen, folks? How are you going to know? The thing is, the point is, the ability for generative AI to change how we're creating copy, whether that be images and text, analyze our data like I think Dan and Ellie were talking about, or one of them alluded to, the ability for us to harness this technology to improve our marketing campaigns is available to us now. It might scare you. It might seem foreign. But what I always tell folks is technology doesn't give a, a hooey how you care or feel about it. It doesn't care what you think about it. It's going to disrupt no matter what. And it's happening now even if you don't know about it. This stuff is happening now. And so, Ellie and Dan, I want to talk to you a little bit about how do you see generative AI creating text and images. How do you see that changing direct mail? Ellie, let me start with you on that. Certainly, I, I see how we can be more intelligent in what we're doing and, and we can better target and segment audiences so that we're sending, for instance, when you talk about, like you just showed the images you created through Midjourney, and we talk about creating pieces that have imagery that um, is relevant to the end user. So, you know, as a mom with a family, 
I might get a piece that looks different or you, you with your family, you'll get a piece that looks different from a couple or from a retired, retired individual. So we can use AI to help us build some of those protocols and, and creative there. But I also see where that can help us to develop some of those and fine tune some of the strategies. You know, we're even using it. We've looked to ways that we can, you know, you put in a, a marketing campaign and such, um, create create a, an email drip campaign, create create mm. some some content for us that we can use as a foundation and start building yeah. upon that. You know, how can we create some of the content that we're pushing out there? We do some publications and how can we create some of the educational content that we're putting out there through AI? And Dan, what about you as you think about, okay, where it's at now, what you understand of it now, and where it's going, how do you think it's going to change how you create marketing campaigns, omni-channel campaigns for your clients? You know, I think currently, obviously, you know, we can use it to write copy and, and create images, and there's a there's a, a benefit to using that. Obviously, when you do use it, you need to read what's been, been written or look at what's there and, and correct it so it's actually... I don't know how to say what I'm going to say properly, but my point is, is that you definitely need to read and interpret and proofread it, if you will, to make sure that it's accurate what you yep. want to put out. From using it from an outbound marketing standpoint and creating strategy, identifying customers, identifying where they're at in the purchasing journey, um, what is the next upsell, things like that, that's coming down the road. It's not quite here yet. It's going to be here very, very quickly, as you said. And I'm going to be curious as to see how it's going to be used, but it's something that I'm trying to learn and I'm, I, I got to wrap my head around it. This is a new one that's coming and, and we is, all have to be on is. top of it. It's quite frightening what, what it's going to be able to do. Uh, for the audience, would you like us to do a session specifically focused on AI and how it will change work today and tomorrow? Let us know there in the chat. Give me a yes. Give me a no. Anything is fine. If you're scared of it, that's okay. Our goal is to demystify and to help you understand how this is going to change your work. Let us know there in the chat, and then I'll get get on it and and see if we can help you on that. Lauren, sounds good. Yes, says Art. Yes, says Leon. Yes, please, says Kim. Okay, excellent. What did you all think of what I just showed you in chat, GPT, and MidJourney? I touched on it very quickly. Give me your impressions there in the chat. Dan, I'm going to come to you with this question. Phil is asking, are your customers or for your customers are you targeting the same individuals on digital channels as you do in direct mail are you doing that yes definitely you could take a mail list and you can use that to identify their facebook and instagram accounts so you can target that person specifically or individually from a demographic standpoint you can go in and you can target people with the google display network and the discovery channel or discovery channel the discovery ads <laughs> yes <laughs> discovery ads which are if people don't know what that is for instance on youtube you've got the little square box that pops up that's a discovery ad and it also comes up in your gmail accounts and stuff so you can target that demographic of an audience but you can't demo you cannot target the individual specifically in those channels because of privacy concerns that's in the marketplace today but most definitely i am very aware of the time that we have left I asked Dan and Ellie if they would be gracious to stick around a little longer past the half hour mark here, folks. I understand if you have to leave, we will send you the recording. Let us know there in the chat. If you have to leave, drop your best email in there so we can send you the recording. But I want to get to as many of the questions here as possible. Kathy says, 
You have eliminated some of my fears of ChatGPT. I'm updating my LinkedIn profile today. Perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kathy, I see another question you asked earlier. Uh, let's just get a quick answer from you, Dan and Ellie. Do either of you do digital-only campaigns for your customers? Why or why not? Dan first and then Ellie. Yes, I just ran a very successful one for a festival that was trying to target people. Who hit, it's a food festival, so they needed to target people within a five-county area, if they will. And if they didn't want to mail, they couldn't afford to be able to mail out to all the different people in the area. So we created a demographic of basically foodies and people that buy you know, festival tickets, if you will. And then we did a digital-only campaign to target it. And this exact festival was uh, hadn't taken place since 2019 because of the demographics and we ended up driving more people to the event in a new location so it was very very successful what about you ellie digital only campaigns we have done some it's it's fairly limited but we do have some clients that are looking to to target a certain demographic target a certain audience and their budget allows for them to do email distribution so so we will do email blasts and such for them I see a question here from Ryan. Thank you for this question, Ryan. Can you share how you tie data-driven direct mail into your online and human-to-human -human lead generation campaigns and, and interactions? So, Ellie, how would you respond to Ryan on that? So we we do a lot back and forth. So we might have, we take leads and such from online, from websites. And then we'll do, we've got programs that we are running where we'll pull data in and then we're pushing out communications as follow-up. So we have like a 48-hour SLA that an individual is receiving a, a piece in the mail following some activity, whether it's an inquiry, an abandoned cart or such online. So that's how we're kind of incorporating things in a, in a more automated fashion. And, and, and certainly we're pushing out email marketing as well as the follow-up to direct mail just to support that so we do it both ways i understand folks if you need to leave i've got dan and ellie here for a few more minutes if you have to leave please say thank you and goodbye to the panel here on your way out in zoom if you want a recording of today's session and the rest of the q a give us your best email there in the chat we'll make sure we get that over to you but i am going to continue dan and ellie to pester you with a few more questions here I'm gonna send this one over to you, Dan. This came from my friend, David, uh, David Gardner. He said, we just moved to a new and more efficient facility and now handle much larger jobs. David, fantastic. I'm glad to hear that that's done. I need to find more prospects who would be good targets that have been out of our sweet spot until recently. We have the tools to do highly variable data, but need to get more capable with data analysis. Dan, what are your recommendations? <laughs> oh man, that's an open-ended sentence right there or question I should say. If he's trying to learn how to 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 get into what 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 new verticals to get into, then I would I, I would say that God, I really don't know how to answer this one, Dave. I'm trying to think <laughs> here because it's so open ended. Let me put it to you a different way. When we bought, when we bring in new services and things into our building that we're going to bring into the marketplace, then we would go out and we would identify companies that could use those services in advance. So we would research and and access you know, information that we could get. And then we would specifically go back out and target those new verticals 
with with the offerings that we could could bring to the table. So for instance, we're into fulfillment right now. We just built a 50,000 square foot facility next or onto our building for fulfillment. We're growing that. So we had to go out and identify the type of accounts that could use fulfillment services. And we were able to do that by targeting manufacturers in particular to be able to be an extension of their business. Ellie, any advice for my friend, David? How would you look and, you at know, that scenario? And so honestly, when we really started to get into high volume variable direct mail, one of the things that we did, and this is really simple, but we asked our sales team and our employees to start looking in their mailbox. And mm. where are you getting pieces from that? What companies and what brands and what industries and what verticals right there, there you have it. Yeah. Do yep. you see that are using direct mail and do you see if they're using it effectively, I'd start to look at companies that those brands and also their competitors. But if they're not using it effectively, I think you have a compelling case to go to them and, and see how you can help them improve those communications. Ellie, I'm going to come to you from uh, Tracy here. Tracy is asking this question. I have a client who is getting pushback from consumers because they are not eco-friendly since they are sending postcards. Ellie, how would you respond? So sustainability, is, that's kind of my thing at Ally. So this question is dear to my heart. There's a lot of things. So first of all, I, I would argue that electronic media produce more waste in many ways than, than paper and pushing out direct mail communications. Paper is actually a really environmental, it's harvested in a very environmentally friendly in most instances now. There's been so much changeover in the industry. You know, there's been big pushes there for recycled content. So like all of our house sheets have recycled content to them. So, and we can certainly get pieces that are fully 100% PCW. The other thing is we have taken it upon ourselves. Obviously, we use environmentally friendly raw materials wherever possible. We were recycling all of our scrap, but we actually partnered with a company where we're doing planting. So we're doing an, a carbon offset for the mail that we're doing. So that's a program that's been really popular with our clients and certainly, you know, our way of, of kind of giving back and trying to offset what we're doing there. I see a question here from Taylor in the Q&A. If I were to type, this is about the AI chat GPT demonstration that we did here. Leon, you have to go. No problem. Thank you for being here, Leon. But Taylor asked, if I were to type the same question, would AI give me the same exact response that it gave you? Taylor, it's a fascinating question. I'd like to hear if Dan or Ellie have played around with this. From my experience, my own personal experience, the answer is no. Because first of all, we could be using different versions of ChatGPT to begin with, but also it's contextual to what we've discussed earlier in that thread. So let's say I had given it some information prior and then we both typed in the same prompt, it might give us different responses. So from my experience, Taylor, the answer is no, not necessarily. The response, depending on which version of ChatGPT we're using and the context or the history for our, our personal interaction with the AI would vary, giving it a different outcome. Dan, have you played with it in that way and experimented? Same question? Not a whole, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot, okay. but I do agree wholeheartedly with what you just said. It, you're absolutely correct. Let's take this question here from Art. I'll go to you, Dan, with this. Have you found that what have you found that what Omnichannel makes possible convinces non-direct mail users to try it? That's a fascinating question. 
the answer to that would be I anytime I go into some place that we're having a sales call and they are not currently using direct mail, I will educate them on how direct mail can en enhance what they're currently doing and actually prove to them that it's a better channel than just doing digital only. I do believe that you have to cut through the clutter. And if you're just doing digital only, you know, we're bombarded with messages all day long. And so a direct mail definitely cuts through the clutter. And you can build better brand recognition by touching people in both channels, if you will. Something that I'm remiss that I haven't done here is if you want to connect with either Dan or Ellie, I'm going to ask my team to throw their LinkedIn profiles here into the chat. We're going to go a few more minutes here and continue to take questions that have come in, as well as those that you continue to throw in. Mindfire team, please drop Dan's LinkedIn profile and Ellie's there so folks can connect with them. And here on the screen, I've got my cell phone number. Text me anytime here. If you've got questions, if you want to get the slides from today's event, if you just want to stay connected, I'm happy to chat anytime. Art, thank you for that question. I'm going to turn the same one to Ellie. The same question that Dan just answered there, Ellie. Have you found that what Omnichannel makes possible, that the results it drives, convinces folks who haven't used direct mail to actually employ direct mail? What's been your experience there? We've seen that if somebody is open it is open to exploring different options. Yes, 100%. We can we can prove it through statistics. We can show them instances where we've seen it work for our clients or for ourselves. It, there's certainly some people that you're you're never gonna you're never gonna convince them that direct mail is a viable channel. And I would just I, I'd encourage you not to waste your time trying to do so. But <laughs> I agree with Dan. It's education and it's everything that. If you're talking to somebody who does any reading, everything out there is pointing to the fact that we need to take advantage of every channel that we have available to us. I see a comment here from Michael. I'm going to read this one off here. Successful direct mail campaigns are all about inspiring the marketer to go right to the edge with their message. At our company, we say strike hard and leave a mark. You got to get the consumer's attention with a powerful message. Maybe you're tying that back to the throw me away i'm used to it on the oe that we showed michael goes on to say marketers need to understand that there is no unsubscribe button in a home or office mailbox the exact reason why the message must be powerful direct mail really does work how many of you agree with michael there give me a one in the chat if you agree with what michael just put in there i'm sure that our panel certainly does as well question here from ryan ryan i'll throw this out to dan and ellie have either of you started to use auto GPT? No. Dan? No. Okay, Ellie? No, I have not yet. No. Okay. All right. No problem there. There you go, Ryan. Little sample of two. What other questions do you have, folks? I've got my contact information here on the screen. My team has dropped in Ellie and Dan's LinkedIn profile there into the chat. I want to know from you folks, did you get value out of this session today? Was this helpful and useful to you? Please drop some feedback there in the chat. And while you're at it, I've got a question for all of you. This is a question I always ask folks towards the end of our time together. What was the thing that you heard from Dan or that you heard from Ellie, or maybe something we talked about with respect to AI that jumped out at you? What was the aha or the, the takeaway that you're leaving today's meeting with Maybe something you wrote down and, and underlined in your notepad there. What was the aha moment for you today? Andrew says, yes, very helpful. Kim says, yes, great. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Andrew. What was the takeaway today for you? I'll read that off. I want to see 
what it is that stood out to you today. Let's see, a question here from April. I'm going to change April, your question, just a little bit. April's question was, is there a certain size of business that MindFire targets to justify inflation? I'm not exactly sure the tie-in there, but I think I get the question. I'm going to go to you, Dan, on this. From your perspective at Think Patented, is there a certain type of business that you target where the economics of direct mail, data-driven direct mail, make sense? I think it makes sense for medium-sized organizations and up. Small businesses will struggle with it. It's it's a little bit too complicated of a marketing effort. But when we, we do it, I'm going to say the most success that we have is in medium to large-sized organizations. Enterprise-level companies are obviously doing it. It's a little harder to compete in that arena. But when you get into the medium to large, we can definitely hold our own and provide the services that they need. Ellie, what about you when you think about who are the types of organizations that are going to ROI positive from data-driven direct mail? What are the attributes or the characteristics of the types of organizations where you find that to be true? I, I would agree with Dan. It's typically medium-sized and larger corporations that are interested in doing it. Anybody that has data on their customers, anybody, you can start with a list. It can just be name and address. And then we can build that out. There's ways for us to append additional information. So I would say pretty much anybody is a, is a candidate. I see lots of good feedback on the AI discussion. I see folks saying that selling the cost per client rather than the cost per piece was helpful. George is saying asking ChatGPT to ask you clarifying questions was useful to him. Brian is saying thanks, Dave. Very helpful. The takeaway is turn direct mail from a commodity-driven process to a quantifiable data-driven process. This will tie to our conversation later today. Yes, Brian, absolutely. Yes, thank you all for your feedback there. I'm going to try to bring us to a close here in just a minute. I want to give you, Dan and Ellie, an opportunity to provide some closing words to the audience here as we make sure we have hit all the questions that we can here before our time expires. Dan, if you were to offer a word of encouragement to the audience as they're thinking about how to apply data-driven philosophy and strategy to the direct mail that they provide their customers, what would you say to somebody here? Don't be afraid to test and do, do A-B campaigns. Learn. Tap into the experts that are in our industry that can educate you on what's being done in the industry today and how you can incorporate that into your business and fold it in. I'm always, you know, I'm, I'd love to watch webinars and seminars and, and learn and network. That's very, very important. So lean into the education, lean into partners who can provide you with, with that insight. You got it. Very good. Ellie, Ellie, what would you say to someone? What would your word of encouragement be around how they can start to think about this and take the next step? I would say be tenacious and persevere because the first one is not, it doesn't come easy. And once mm. you, once you get a few campaigns and a few clients under your belt, it's that much easier, but it's a process. It's not like going out and just selling a, a simple, a simple, simple print job. It's something that you've got to take a client through. So sometimes that can take time. Absolutely. You have to give it time and you have to invest accordingly both time and money i suppose to be able to get to that point where it begins to pick up a life of its own very very helpful well folks thank you all for sticking around thank you to dan and to ellie for being gracious with about 15 more minutes of their time we really appreciate that if you receive value from dan and ellie here please let them know in the chat i want to make sure that they feel the love and the gratitude from all of you i appreciate all of 
the audience being here and sticking around as well. Thank you for contributing to the conversation. Thank you for giving us the asset of which there's really no price tag, which is your time. We appreciate you spending the time with everyone. Lauren says, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Lauren. It's great to see you. George is saying, thank you, Dan, Ellie, and David for sharing your expertise and your time. Charles says, thank you for a great conversation and great input. Rick is saying, thank you all. Thank you folks for being here. We wish you the best for the rest of today and through the weekend. I, I hear loud and clear from you folks that you would like an AI session. So we're going to put that on the drawing board immediately here and figure out when to get that scheduled and get it out to all of you. Thank you all for your time. Lita says, thank you, everyone. Have a happy Friday. Great weekend. Thanks for attending. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everyone, and enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you soon.